You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Well, welcome back, everybody. And I hope you had a wonderful Christmas holiday, a beautiful New Year's celebration. I hope you found some time to rest and relax, some time with your family. And even if it looked a little different and you weren't able to travel, I hope you had that time in celebration of uh, the birth of Christ and, of course, the birth of a new year. 2021 could not have come soon enough for all of us. The Friend family, we had a great celebration. It was just a wonderful time just to be home with our kids, celebrating them and, and just enjoying our time together. Happy to report that the Friend family has fully recovered from COVID-19. And uh, that we are, you know, the kids are back in school. My oldest begins Temple University this semester in another week or so. We are back in action, as I'm sure you all are as well. We have some great episodes for you on Advancing Our Church this month. The theme for our month is Catholic schools. And of course, we mark the celebration of Catholic schools at the end of the month with the beginning of our national celebration of Catholic Schools Week through the NCEA. And so this week, we're going to kick off a three-part series on Catholic schools by exploring the Fulcrum Foundation and meeting Vivian Shannon. And so let's get to work. So Vivian Shannon is our guest today, and she is the executive director of the Fulcrum Foundation based in Seattle, Washington. Vivian took the role of executive director in 2019. Prior to joining the Fulcrum Foundation, she served as the Senior Vice President and Chief Advancement Officer for the YMCA of Greater Seattle, where she successfully oversaw a $180 million comprehensive campaign. Prior to that, she served at the United States Military Academy at West Point as a campaign director, and she managed a $350 million comprehensive campaign, which exceeded goal to $421 million. What a tremendous success. Vivian has nearly 25 years experience building relationships, growing and developing teams, and creating strategies for success. Vivian lives in Bonnie Lake, Washington with her husband, Joe, and she's the proud mom of four adult children, two boys and two girls. One of the daughters actually is a cadet at West Point. And so when not working, Vivian enjoys Broadway shows, travel, reading, and spending time with her family. She's a proud alum of the University of Washington, and she's also a huge Seattle Seahawks fan. And so, without further ado, here's our conversation. Well, Vivian, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad to have you here on Advancing Our Church. Thank you so much, Jim. I'm so excited to be on your famous podcast, and I feel so honored to be here. I'm a little nervous because it's my very first podcast ever, but I'm super excited. Well, I'm sure you're going to, you are a pro, and I'm sure it's, I, I'm excited about this conversation. Uh, to dive in and learn more about you and, and the Fulcrum Foundation and all the great things that you're doing in the Archdiocese of Seattle. I've had heard of the Fulcrum Foundation for many years and uh, our paths crossed, I think about a year ago, and I've just uh, been meaning to get you on this podcast for a long time. So I'm really glad you're here. Thank you. First, how was your Christmas? How, how were the holidays? Your kids uh, come in and uh, how, how are things uh, in Seattle? Everything was great during the holidays. We have four children. My husband, Joe, and I do. They're all adults now. 
But all of them were able to come home, even though our youngest two in early December came down with COVID, oh. their roommates together in Eastern Washington. And, uh, but they timed it beautifully. If they were going to get sick, they recovered in time to be home for the holidays. And it was lovely to have our family together. We were alone for Thanksgiving, my husband and I, and that was very strange. So it was mm. nice to, to have them. It's beautiful. Kind of the beginning of the empty nesters, huh? As your young adults. Yeah, get older. now everybody's gone again. And what I said to my husband a couple of days ago, I'm like, oh, and then there were two. So here we are again. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's funny. So you've been with the Fulcrum Foundation a little over a year now. Tell us a little bit about what drew you to this position and to this mission of Catholic education. Oh, I love telling this story because I feel like it's just been so divinely inspired. So I got a call about this job on a Wednesday, and it was exactly a week before I was going to have a final interview at a different organization. I had never heard of Fulcrum before, even though I'm a regular weekly mass attendee in our archdiocese. And I agreed to at least review the materials out of courtesy to the person who reached out to me, who I knew. Mm -hmm. And um, as soon as I received it and I started to read the position description, I just got this really weird feeling. And mm -hmm. I said, huh, this is very interesting. So I agreed to meet with the board chair a day and a half later on a Friday morning for breakfast. And about 20 minutes into our meeting and Tony Audino is our board chair and he's incredible. And he's just starting to talk about the job. I felt, I literally felt God's poke in my ribs and said, mm, all of my previous experiences have led me to this time. I might be the person for this role. Fulcrum had been searching for nearly two years for an ED. They just didn't find the right fit. So long story short, you know, my big concern was I'm an adult convert to Catholicism. I didn't go to Catholic schools. My children didn't go to Catholic school. And I worried that maybe my lack of experience in Catholic education might be a stumbling block. That was my big worry. But Tony assured me that it wouldn't be. And 15 months later, that is proven to be correct. Yes. I didn't need to go to Catholic school to support and become passionate about Catholic schools. So Fulcrum's mission to open the aperture of accessibility for kids in our archdiocese is really important. And since I've been at Fulcrum, well, pre-COVID that is, I was able to start visiting schools and really getting into the classrooms. And I was super jealous. You know, I would walk out of a kindergarten class and ask the teacher if I could enroll because it was just a magical experience being in those classrooms and, and seeing what happens in Catholic schools. So, but I have to tell you one other side little story. Because I'm a convert and as an adult convert, Mary played a really big role in my conversion story. And I had a meeting with our superintendent for Catholic schools, Kristen Dixon, as part of my interview process. And as I was driving to that meeting, I just was praying and asked God, please just give me a sign that this is really what I'm supposed to do because I really thought I was going to this other organization. So Kristen and I hit it off. We had a really lovely conversation. And then I told her a little bit about my conversion story and my connection to our Holy Mother and that I was looking for a sign. And she literally in that moment turned around in her chair and there's this giant tapestry of Our Lady of Guadalupe 
on the back of her chair. <laughs> and I said, okay, that's awesome. That's the sign. I'm, I'm in it. This is, that's all I needed to see. And so you could say our lady was directing you to the Fulcrum Foundation. She totally, totally was. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I, I know what you, when you, when you said at the beginning, how you felt that all of the experiences that you've had in your career had kind of led you up to this point. And then kind of that confirmation of, yes, to have Mary appear for you in that way, even through a tapestry, it's, it's beautiful. That's really beautiful. And I, I think that anybody who has worked in Catholic education understands that it really, it's so much, as you know now, so especially after 15 months and going through 2020, it's so much more than a job. It's a vocation, right? Oh, completely, completely. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just have to say that now I am the mother of a Catholic student because my third child, my oldest daughter, is getting her master's in teaching at Gonzaga. So I can finally oh. say I have a personal connection to Catholic education. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful. Now, how long ago, you said you were an adult, how long ago did you convert? Shortly after I married my husband. So it was 1990 when I converted. So oh, I've been beautiful. in it quite a long time, but That's great. It was a wonderful experience for me and and Mary just it was all about her. She yes. made it happen. Well, I think we we converts and I, I I converted when I was in middle school, my family converted to Catholicism. I think we see the church awesome. under under a different lens, right? Uh, because yeah. we weren't brought up through the traditional channels. I had two years of a Catholic school in Orlando when we lived there at the time that uh, was instrumental and a Catholic parish, an Augustinian parish in, in Orlando that played a pivotal role in our conversion experience. And so I do know what you mean by it's, it's certainly a call, right? And, and it had the, the timing has to be right. And the people in your life have to be right to support you in that call. And so that's beautiful. That's wonderful. And here you are now deep in the mission of the church. Here I am. Who knew? <laughs> I never expected that I would be here and working for the church. It's been such a blessing though. So you're certainly no stranger to uh, education. I know that you spent some time at the famous West Point. Tell us a little bit about that. You bet. My husband served for nearly 30 years as an officer in the Army, and the last decade or so of his career, he was selected to be what they call a permanent professor at West Point. Mm -hmm. So he taught chemistry to cadets while we were there, and so we lived on post. My younger girls, they grew up on post, so West Point for them is home. And I had the great fortune of being hired by the West Point Association of Graduates, who is the fundraising arm for the academy, mm -hmm. because government officials, military are prohibited by law from fundraising for themselves. So the Alumni Association became the development office for West Point many years ago. And a lot of people don't know that West Point is not fully funded by federal dollars. Even some graduates don't realize that their education wasn't completely paid for by the government. Mm. So the government pays for core programs, military, academic, the things that you need to graduate and get a commission um, as a lieutenant in the army. But the really cool things, the above and beyond, the athletics, the cool experiences, the, the semesters abroad, all of those types of things are privately funded through development efforts. So I started out in the class and annual giving department as an assistant director. I was fresh off of my certificate program from the University of Washington. I had gotten a fundraising 
management certificate. So West Point was my first job and they hired me. And um, about six months into that role, our vice president of development at the time called me and said, I want you to consider running our campaign. We're going to be launching a comprehensive campaign in about a year and a half. And I'd like you to consider being the director of that campaign, which really shocked me because I was pretty new to development and six months only in that role. Mm -hmm. So I called a really dear uh, mentor of mine who was one of my instructors in my program at University of Washington and said, should I do this? What should I do? Mm-hmm. He told me I'd be crazy if I didn't do it and that he had all the confidence that I could. So long story short, I spent nine years planning, executing, and then wrapping up and celebrating uh, West Point's second ever comprehensive campaign. Wow. We had a goal of $350 million and uh, we raised 421. So Whoa. it's one of the most professionally rewarding experiences that I had. And being around cadets, because it's all about the cadets, everything we did was to make them better leaders and give them all the experiences they need so that they could graduate and become commissioned leaders who are leading America's sons and daughters. So it's very humbling. Mm -hmm. And it's very uh, wonderful and rewarding to be in that environment. And I I can now proudly also say that I'm a Army mom. My youngest daughter is in her second year as a cadet at West Point. She had to go back home. So super proud about that. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. And she's doing well. She's doing really well. She loves it. She really does. That's great. Well, Vivian, let's talk a little bit about the background, maybe of the Fulcrum Foundation. I'm sure some of the folks that are listening today are have heard the name, but they may not understand or know the, what your mission is in the Archdiocese of Seattle. Uh, how was it formed? Well, it was formed through the vision of then Archbishop Brunette. Um, mm-hmm. He was a man who wanted to make Catholic schools accessible to anybody who wanted to attend Catholic schools. So. Mm-hmm. He created the Fulcrum Foundation in 2002, and I had the great honor and privilege to meet Archbishop Brunette at our Celebration of Light event last January, Mm -hmm. only about a week before he died and he left us. But I was able to thank him for his vision, shake his hand and tell him that I was now leading and he squeezed my hand and it's a moment that I'll never forget. And so our mission really is to leverage financial support. Uh, in support of our schools. We provide tuition assistance grants. In fact, in 2020, we gave over two and a half million dollars in tuition assistance. But sadly, that two and a half million dollars only covered 38% of the requests that we received. Mm. So there's still so much need in our community for families who want to send their kids to Catholic school. It's jarring. It's depressing to think that Even that amount of money leaves so many people unfunded, but we continue to really work hard at raising money for that. We also provide leadership grants for educators, teacher, teacher excellence grants. We um, identify up and coming leaders and we partner with seven universities across the country, Catholic universities. And we send teachers and want to be principals to get their certifications um, or other leadership training. It's been a really good model. And what we have discovered is that a school is only as strong as its leader. Mm. And the folks that have gone through the leadership development program through Fulcrum 
are outstanding leaders and um, they really make a difference in their schools. And we have seen that play out a lot during COVID. So that's really awesome. Mm-hmm. We also do school partnership grants. Uh, these are yearly grants. Um, schools can apply for like capital things. If a boiler goes out or something happens that was unforeseen and they need assistance with that, or if they want to try something new, innovation, a new curriculum, something new, Great. we also provide dollars for that too. Have you found that that inspires some new creativity and, and innovation in the schools? You see that? Coming? Yeah, we really do. Every year we get several applications that are like, wow, that's a really, really great idea. Mm-hmm. And we look for opportunities that are scalable even that if, oh, if this school tries this, can this be done at other schools and can they lead the way? Um, mental health has been a really big issue this year, as you can imagine. So We've given some dollars for mental health support in schools and creating programs that can be replicated in other schools. So that's been really poignant and important to do. So I've heard so much about mental health and young children, especially going through their developmental years where they're just learning how to um, relate to other kids, how to play together. I know from you know, just watching my own kids grow up, there was like that when they were little toddlers, they would kind of parallel play where they're in the same room doing things, but maybe not necessarily together. But then eventually they they do come together and they learn how to play with one another. And COVID-19 crisis has really prevented some of that developmental activity that would happen in the schools because the kids are, are isolated. So, so what you're doing, I'm sure from pre-K all the way through uh, grade 12 is so critical, especially in the mental health arena. Yeah, and today especially, it's it's tough. Some of the stories that we hear and the things that these kids really struggle with. You know, it's always hard to grow up, but I think it's especially hard to be a young person today. And so yeah. at Fulcrum, we are really committed to helping that as much as we can. Absolutely. So you're a separate 501c3. You have your own board. So you function separately from the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Somebody may be thinking, wow, Fulcrum Foundation, that sounds like a great idea. I wish we had something like that in my archdiocese. Like, How do you partner or interface with uh, the Office of Catholic Education and, and the schools in the diocese? Yeah, we are separate. We fall under the umbrella of the Archdiocese of Seattle, and the Archbishop is our sole member, but we have an independent board of trustees and our own governance, and so we are separate from the Archdiocese. Mm -hmm. Um, Our role is really to support the schools. To I'm a thought partner to our superintendent, Kristen Dixon, and we have a, a really tight partnership. It's a, it's a true partnership. She comes to me. We go to the schools. Like we're learning about each other. And she provides insight. Yeah. She will let us know what's going on in the schools. Um, she invites us to their meetings. They have principal meetings every day. That was something that was born out of COVID. I always love to quote her because when COVID started, And they went remote. She said, something is trying to be born right now. And instead Mm. of focusing on what's dying, let's focus on what's being born. And it was such a beautiful philosophy. And I was really inspired by it. And what happened was they, you know, we have 72 schools in our archdiocese, which encompasses all of Western Washington. So as far south as Vancouver, Washington, up north to Bellingham and from the ocean to the mountains. So even before I started at Fulcrum, I didn't really understand that the Archdiocese of Seattle 
really was all of Western Washington. So, okay. Yeah. We um, have been around, we have 62 elementary schools, 11 high schools in the archdiocese. And before COVID, you know how Catholic schools are, they're kind of independent schools and they got together, they had uh, regional principal meetings and stuff, but it was more a collection of schools and running independently. Well, then COVID happened and Kristen Mm -hmm. and the principals managed to bring themselves together and they met every single morning, Monday through Friday for 30 minutes just to be together. And they learned from each other and they, you know, started sharing ideas and information. It was just a really beautiful thing that happened. Something that might've taken much longer to try to artificially construct actually happened naturally because of the pandemic. Then once school began again in the fall, they took that down to three days a week, but they still meet regularly. So Fulcrum was invited to those meetings. We would participate. We'd listen to the needs of the principals and the teachers and really understood what they were struggling with. And I decided in that moment that not that I ever had a dream of becoming a school principal, but I knew I could never do it. I was never cut out. I didn't have what it would take to be a school principal. <laughs> I don't either. They, it's impressive. they are heroes. Yeah, they, they are, are heroes. It's a tough, tough job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They're the hardest people, the hardest working people in any school system. It's incredible. Amen. And, you know, Fulcrum doesn't, we don't try to replicate what the schools are doing. Mm-hmm. We are not the schools. We are not educators, but we... It's our job to sit back and listen and to understand what the schools are grappling with and then see where we can help. So bring new resources. Sure. Bring our resources. Absolutely. That's exciting. That's exciting. By the way, I love what you, what you said earlier. What is, what is being born here? I had had not heard that phrase before, but I think that's something as we go into 2021 and hopefully on the horizon, we have we have new life. We have a vaccine. You know, we're uh, sometime in this year, we can all be together again, I hope. You know, what is being bored and what are the lessons that can be taken away? I think of all the meetings that I, I have made volunteers drive to over the years, you know, yes, when, yes. when now we are all so comfortable jumping onto a Zoom call, right? And yes. still have that same interaction and feedback. And no, that doesn't have to be every single meeting. You know, I like when I worked in the Diocese of Allentown, my goodness, some places were an hour to an hour and a half away. And then we exactly. Come all- all the way into Allentown for a meeting that would last two hours. And you think, boy, that's, it's a wonderful commitment on their part, but do we have to put them through that? So exactly, exactly. I think there are some things where we have uh, taken the genie out of the bottle. We're not going to be able to put them back in, you know, and that's I think okay. You're right. And, some, and I think that's, what's being born yeah. is that you can be much more inclusive now. Um, yes. You don't have to worry about distance and you can bring people together and, as much as I love that human in-person interaction, Zoom has been an incredible thing that has been born. And I really wish that I had Zoom stock early on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> don't we all? If you could just buy it a year ago, exactly a year ago. Exactly. You know, from last, this January to last January. Exactly. So go a little deeper on that. Tell us a little bit about how you have adjusted, you know, your, your leadership style, the way you've had to uh, lead your team, or how has your team adjusted to uh, this new environment? 
My team is amazing. Fulcrum has been blessed with just incredible people all through its existence. And the current team is absolutely no exception. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I had to adjust my style so much. We just all realized that, you know, we were all going to have to work extra diligently to stay team-like in that mm-hmm. team environment, even while we were all remote. So sure. we just, from the very beginning, made a commitment to each other that we were going to make the effort. It was going to be hard. It was going to take much more energy um, to really support each other. But we Zoom handled so many things. We just had our regular staff meetings. We'd have our one-on-ones. And then every Friday, really from March through the summer, we would end every week with a a happy hour. You know, um, at two o'clock in the afternoon, we would just not talk about work. (laughs) We would bring whatever beverage we wanted to and just be together as people. We played some of those icebreaker games. Oh, you know, learning about each other more as people and what made us tick and what was personal about each one of us. So we did that every Friday and it was wonderful because it was like, we're not talking about work. We're just going to relax and hang out. And we rotated kind of who was responsible for the game or the topic of discussion for that week. So the pressure wasn't always on me to come up with something right? Um, because that's how I lead. I, w- I like to diffuse it, that yeah. we're all in it together. Delegate. <laughs> delegate, delegate. And really it's partnership, you know, because even delegation sometimes has a negative connotation, like who am I? I'm, yes, I'm the executive director, but we're all in it together and you are my colleagues. And um, so leadership is circular in my opinion. And um, so it's been really wonderful, but it's been exhausting. What we have found was even simple things are harder because of COVID where in the office you're having conversations that are not, you know, you walk out of your office, you have a question, everybody's there and you can have a really quick huddle, but the way Zoom and because we're remote, you have to be very intentional about, oh, wait, did I tell all the people who need to know this information? So we learned some hard lessons about that in the early months and, you know, thinking, oh, I thought you knew. Oh, no, you weren't in that meeting. And so little things were harder, but The team is remarkable, not a shoe dropped. I mean, we fired on all cylinders and then created some cylinders to fire on um, this last year. So I couldn't be more proud of being on this team and to be affiliated with the folks at Fulcrum. It's the Fulcrum way. The Fulcrum way. I love it. I love it. And I I love the fact that you had to create a few new cylinders, (laughs) you know? Oh, yes. (laughs) But but wasn't it that way? I mean, you know, it's not that... We got rid of having to get on the road and get in a car and go somewhere. But for many of my colleagues, people that I spoke with, not not just people who have my job, but people who have your job and diocesan jobs, like they were at their desk 12 hours a day in some cases, like like just on Zoom calls all day, on the phone all day, trying to stay connected to people all day. Did the work didn't lessen, it just changed. If anything, it got more intense. Um, especially, um, I mean, if you're working with a, with a school that might already be on the fringe with, uh, with their enrollments and need extra help, or if it's a parish that, you know, who didn't have online giving before all this started now, all of a sudden, nope, my Sunday collection disappeared. Um, so many people work tirelessly to get our institutions, our schools, our parishes, 
in shape so that they could function, right? And the, all the all those business functions that maybe they didn't think they needed to worry about now all of a sudden became the most important thing. So indeed, indeed. And for Fulcrum, you know, while here in Washington, things started to percolate. You know, we had the first case of COVID, as if you recall, in February. And so in January, we started hearing about, you know, this thing coming, you know, the people in China were getting really sick. And, right. you know, our community here, our population, we have a lot of chi- uh, ties to the Far East and to Asia. So we just started getting these little signs. And so I had a conversation with our board chair and I said, you know, I think we need to make some investments in technology. Uh, We had a lot of staff who still had desktop computers. They didn't have laptops. They were tethered to the office. And I said, I think we need to change that. And so we started buying laptops and investing in monitors. And I just want to be ready. I don't want to be reactive. I want to be proactive. I know initially he thought maybe I was overreacting a tiny little bit because nobody could have, you know, foreseen what ended up happening, but I just had this little voice inside me. So we spent some money and I got everyone set up on laptops and got everybody the equipment that they needed. And literally a week later, we shut the office down and went home and we haven't been back since. So it's crazy. I'm so thankful that the board backed me on that, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. in my budget, et cetera, et cetera. But we, we did what we needed to do. And um, we invested in, you know, Microsoft office. We had been subscribing to that, but mm-hmm. we used teams. We implemented Microsoft teams as a team, which was great because I had used it in my previous role. And it was a game changer for us in my last role. So mm-hmm. I got the team onto teams and, it, it really just changed how we worked and it's been really, really great. So again, another thing, another positive silver lining that was born out of the pandemic that will never go back. Right, right, exactly. That's wonderful. How about the students in, in the schools? How have you seen them, their resilience throughout this process and what steps uh, did the archdiocese take to keep them engaged? And is there more to, more to go on that or are they... Do you think that they found a rhythm at this point uh, in the learning process? I think the rhythm changes every day. You know, they went remote at, with one day's notice. So schools right. shut down on Friday and on Monday they were in school and we had a 99% attendance rate, which is remarkable, um, mm-hmm. truly remarkable. But that didn't happen just by its own volition. Like that right. was because of the hard work and dedication and passion of the teachers, the principals, administrators, and of course, the students themselves and their families. It was not easy. And we learned a lot in the spring. I know the schools learned a lot. We understood, you know, what technology, what you need to be remote. And so we got a bunch of requests over the summer through our COVID emergency relief fund that the board instigated in April. In response to this, we knew the need was going to be great. We didn't know how bad, and uh, but we knew. So we started fundraising and we raised over three and a half million dollars in, in a very short period of time. Mm. And 
we just started funding needs with, from schools um, starting this fall because they started to understand what they really, what made the difference in the classroom. So swivel cameras and monitors and PPE went because some classes were hybrid classes. So it's been a little bit all over the place in terms of what schools need, depending on where they are in the state. Kristen's uh, guidance to the schools was you're, you're going to follow whatever your local health department rules are. So some classes and schools were in session fully in September, some were remote, some were hybrid. My understanding, and I think I'm right about this, but someone will have to correct me if I'm not, that starting in September, we had students physically in every one of our um, grade school buildings across the state in some way, shape, or form. So whether it was pre-K or kindergarten, not everybody was in school, but we did have students physically present in all of our grade school buildings, mm-hmm. which was remarkable. Yeah. But Fulcrum came through with funding for those needs to make those experiences better for the students and for the teachers. And we've supported 60 schools so far with COVID emergency relief grants today and um, close to three and a half million dollars. Wow. Impressive. That has been very, very rewarding. And we're still trying to fundraise because the need still continues to grow. Was a lot of that through major gifts or did you find just came, you know, from, I'm, I'm sure, was it a mix of both? We asked for major gifts. We met with donors. In fact, for the first time ever, Fulcrum partnered with the Archdiocese of Seattle and with our Catholic Community Services and Housing Services because there our three organizations share some major donors. And We wanted to be really respectful of those donors because they care immensely about all three organizations instead of each one of us going to them individually. The archbishop felt we should come together and meet with them as a partnership. Mm -hmm. And that was really successful. It's the first time we've ever done that. And we had so many amazing donations come because of that. People really stepped up. People who had already given, they've already given so much. Um, and they kept saying yes again and again. And it was really beautiful to see. So three and a half million dollars. And then our board, the Fulcrum board contributed a million dollars out of our own resources. So we have four and a half million dollars for COVID emergency relief. I'm super proud of that. We, we just keep giving it away. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. How are the numbers Seattle, the number of COVID cases? Are you guys still going up or? In October, I think is when we hit our peak. We had 6,000 plus cases per day. We're over the holidays, it fluctuated between 2,500, 4,500. It just depended on the day. I'm waiting for the post-holiday spike now because we're about five days in after the new year. So yeah. I'm just waiting to see what happens with those numbers. It makes yeah. me nervous to sure. click on that story every morning to see where we are, but we're not going down, down. That's for sure. It's yeah. still with us. Oh, sure. Alarmingly. And I think it will be for a while. So me Vivian, I, I was I was curious about this. I know that you worked on both sides of the country, the East and the West Coast. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how is the culture of Seattle a little different from, you know, the culture from the East Coast and I would imagine that kind of is reflected a little bit in the needs of the schools, a little bit in the, in, you know, in the archdiocese. Uh, 
what are what are some of the differences and some of the similarities that you've seen? You know, my husband grew up, he's a New Jersey boy, and we spent so much time on the East Coast and everything really is, you're Catholic, you're Jewish, your faith is really a very big part of who you are on the East right. Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know a neighborhood by whatever church is there and people I affiliate and identify with their with their church or their place of worship, no matter what their faith. And Seattle is completely not religious. I mm-hmm. think I understand that we are the number one most secular city in the country. Interesting. Which is very interesting to me. I grew up an army brat. My dad served for 28 years in the army and I was a Protestant most of my life, but all my experiences were around military chapels. So I wasn't out in the community a whole lot in in terms of religion, but I was surprised when I moved back here to learn that, that Seattle is just not religious. And so to find that we have 800,000 Catholics in our archdiocese, that's a lot for being a non a non-religious city or territory, you know, in Western Washington. So that's been different. Also moving back here because I grew up part of my life in Washington and I went to the University of Washington for my undergrad. In coming back, Seattle became really casual in those years that I was away. The dress code, like it's jeans, no matter what you're going to, people wear jeans. And mm-hmm. that's also very different from the East Coast where you, you know, you dress appropriately when you're depending on whatever event that you're attending on the East Coast. Sure. Of course, the weather's totally different. I don't miss the East Coast humidity at all. I will say that. <laughs> it's rainy here from October to May. That that's real. Mm-hmm. Um but we, what's changed in the years that I have been away is it's gotten hotter. Um, the summers were 100 degrees plus several days out of the summer, which never happened when I was growing up. We get measurable snowfall every year. And in fact, two years ago, our celebration of light gala was canceled because of a blizzard. That just never happened either when I was a kid. If it snowed once every five years, that was a lot. So mm-hmm. The climate has certainly shifted and that has made Seattle weather different. Other than that, you know, when I was talking about different faith affiliations on the East Coast, like my girls, when they were going to school, they got Jewish holidays off. You know, that never happens. I was like, what? Yeah. Wait, what? When I first <laughs> moved to the East Coast, I'm like, what? You get what holidays off? And and that yeah. doesn't happen here in Seattle either. So. <laughs> Well, you take the good with the bad, right? You know, exactly. <laughs> Pretty expensive real estate in Seattle, though. Boy. Oh, it's oh. insane. Yeah. I mean, I thought the East Coast was bad. And then we moved here. And in fact, one of the big things that was born out of COVID was my husband and I bought our very first home. We've been married almost 31 years. Actually, we've been married 31 years. And we have never owned a home because we never needed to because we always lived on post because he was in the army. Yep. And when we moved back to Seattle in 2016, our plan was to live here for two years, get my youngest daughter through high school and kind of figure out where we wanted to live, look at traffic and, and find the right place. Two years turned into four and we blinked and finally said, okay, we've just got to, we've got to pull the trigger. So, but the problem is, Seattle proper and King County is 
just so expensive. So we moved one county out um, and got a little bit more house for our money. And we moved sure. in October. So we just had our first Christmas in our new home and mm. it's been really wonderful. But I'm flabbergasted at the prices here. And <laughs> because, you know, tech, Seattle is now tech town. Um, yeah. We've got Amazon. We've had Microsoft, of course, but mm. now we have Amazon, Google, Facebook, Expedia. Every, everybody's here. And the, it's just taken, you know, all these young people who are making a lot of money in tech came into the core of the city mm-hmm. and now people, families are moving out to the suburbs much more. And mm-hmm. it's just making the price of real estate go through the roof. So wow. that's one of the bad things. I don't like that at all. <laughs> well, Vivian, tell us a little bit about what's coming up for the Fulcrum Foundation. I know you have the virtual celebration of light coming up. Tell us a little bit about that. We do. Celebration of Light is Fulcrum's biggest fundraiser of the year. Um, It's really the proceeds from that event pay for our programs for the following year. And last year was my very first one. And I had heard so many stories about, oh, wait till you go. It's magical. It's like a reunion, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, okay. I mean, how different could it be than any other benefit that I've attended. Mm-hmm. Well, I was really wrong. It is really, really different <laughs> because it is like old home week. People who went to Catholic school together go to the same parish. Like it is a huge reunion and it's electric, the atmosphere. So I really enjoyed my first one last year. It was probably made better because the previous year was the one that got canceled because of the blizzard. So it had been two years before all these people had come together again. And we have 1,200 people um, attend Celebration of Light every year. It's it's a sellout. Um, we have to turn people away in the end. And it's just magical. So we were hoping and praying that we weren't going to have to cancel or move virtual for this year. But of course we made the decision to do that over the summer and really excited though. We found a partner. We've got this really awesome platform. So you're going to have an interactive experience. You're going to get to sit at a virtual table and be with people and see people and engage with people uh, before and after our main program. And so our program will, will be short about 30 minutes and excited about what's going to be unveiled there. I'm not going to give away any secrets. Okay. Um, But it's going to be super fun if you want to interact. And then we're also offering people the opportunity who maybe don't want to, they have Zoom fatigue or we're not using Zoom, but you know, they don't want to do that. Maybe they just want to watch our program. Mm -hmm. So we're giving people that opportunity as well. And then for people who say, you know what, I, I love Fulcrum. I don't want to do something virtual. I'll look at your program later. I just want to donate. We're offering people that option too. So kind of a little bit of everything and hopefully all 1,200 of our normal attendees will come. But the beauty of this is now anybody can come no matter where they are in the world. And there's no restrictions to the number of people. So where we don't know, it's the big unknown how many people will actually come, but we're off to a really, really good start. We opened our registration on the first. If you want, if you're a Fulcrum supporter or you care about Catholic schools and you just want to help, please come join my table. You can register and look for my table and you can <laughs> sit with me 
um, and it's fulcrumfoundation.org to register. Wonderful. So it's it's going to be really special. Well, we'll make sure we put a, uh, a link to that in the show notes. Awesome. Uh, Vivian, it's been great having you on the show today. Thank you so much for sharing about your experience, your journey, and uh, so many great little quotes I think I'm going to wind up using now for the rest of the week. Uh, just on, I mean, just some great, uh, great insights, I think, on how we, uh, what's being born out of 2020. I think we all have to look at that in a positive light and um, in light of our faith and knowing that God has his hand on, on, our, on our lives and on our church and on our country. And so I, I think you clearly represent that and, and, and emanate that in, in just the way you come across and the way that you articulate your love for the schools and, and your work. So thank you for all you're doing at Fulcrum and so grateful for you to be on the show today. Well, I'm so grateful that you invited me. Thank you so much. And I do just want to wrap by saying that Fulcrum wouldn't be Fulcrum without our donors and our supporters. And it's really because of them that we are able to do our work. So I just want to take this opportunity on this public platform to thank them and to, to tell them that we wouldn't be able to do what we do without them. And they are really the true heroes in our story, along with the principals, the teachers, the students and the families. And I just wish everyone a healthy, COVID-free, inoculated year coming, you know, this year and wish you all the best. And again, thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun. And that went really, really fast. (laughs) (laughs) It did, didn't it? It always does. The good ones always do. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Jim. And we'll take care and we'll, we'll look forward to seeing you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Vivian. God bless. I really enjoyed having Vivian on our show this week. What a tremendous gift she is to Catholic education in the greater Seattle area. And of course, what a great gift the Fulcrum Foundation is as well. And so I'm going to leave a link to Vivian and her LinkedIn bio, as well as the Fulcrum Foundation on our show notes. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Pottery Studios for another great show. If you'd like more information about our show, please visit our website at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for over 21 years. And for more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, once again, Happy New Year. I wish you great success this new year as we begin this journey together in 2021. Once again, this month is Catholic Schools Week on Advancing Our Church, and so I hope you'll join us next week as we talk about marketing strategies and getting ready for Catholic Schools Week. Until then, have a great week. God bless.